The UN has granted you, under the UN Declaration of Human Rights and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights Freedom, in 1966, two amazing, world-changing rights. Almost. But really, still. Article 19 states that everyone shall have the right to hold opinions without interference. Everyone should have the right to freedom of expression. This right shall include the freedom to seek, receive, impart information and ideas of all kinds, regardless of frontiers, either orally, writing, or in print, or in the form of art, or any other media of his choice. Incredible. Amazing. Number three, the exercise of the rights provided. For in paragraph two of this article carries with it special duties and responsibilities. It may therefore be subject to certain restrictions. Wait a minute. All of a sudden, these freedoms that you're granted has certain restrictions. For instance, for the respect of rights or reputations of others. All right. Can't just blatantly lie about someone. I like that. And B, for the protection of national security or public order or public health or morals. Some of it, we can say, ah, that makes sense. That agrees. I agree with that. Article 20 then goes on to say, any propaganda for war shall be prohibited by law. All right, yeah, we don't like propaganda. We've seen what it done, has done with fascism and Nazism and, and the way that Hitler has used propaganda. Sure. Point two in Article 20, this is the real kicker. This is where everything that has been said in Article 19 and everything that has been said in Article 20 kind of becomes a moot point. Point two, any advocacy of national, racial, or religious hatred that constitutes incitement to discrimination or hostility or violence shall be prohibited by law. Wow, that's great. Isn't that great? We, we don't like discrimination. We don't like hostility, we don't like violence, and we shouldn't be discriminating against people. But who defines, who defines what discrimination is? Who defines what incitement to hate, incitement to violence really is? See, you are free to think and say whatever you wish as long as you're not inciting hatred or inciting violence or inciting discrimination of any race, religion, minority, or majority, or nation. This is where it becomes a little hairy. It becomes a little confusing. Because that means, it brings into the question, what is discrimination? If I say this way of living is better than this other way of living, I've all of a sudden discriminated against essentially a walk of life. So this amazing right that we have all been given, yet yeah, we should relish in it. We should relish in the illusion of the freedom that we have while really we're being enslaved in thought and speech from making any delineation of good versus evil, right versus wrong, moral versus immoral, truth versus lies. Now, of course, that's a hyperbole. Clearly, within society, we still have the ability to a degree, depending on where you live, at our ability to make delineations between good and evil, right and wrong, up and down. We can still make levels of discrimination, but that is being actively attacked by progressivism. Because today, if you were to say that really you're only at risk, by and large, at getting monkeypox is if you are a gay man that is sleeping around. Well, that would be a discrimination and an incitement of hatred of the LGBTQ community, and therefore it's hate speech. And therefore, I do not have the freedom to say that under the UN laws by those who are saying, well, this is actually discrimination. You're actually discriminating against someone by saying that. So instead, what do we do? We should make everyone afraid of monkeypox. If you discriminate and say a certain body mass index, BMI, A, is healthier than a different body mass index, and that one's not healthy, well, I've just discriminated, and really now I've become part of fat shaming. And instead, as a society, we're saying fat is the new healthy. It's okay. It's okay. 
We're not actually helping those who struggle with their weight, those who maybe have uh, a genetic disposition to unhealthy weights, which is, it's hard to be overweight. It's difficult. People don't want to be overweight, but instead, what do we say? We say, it's okay. You're perfect just as you are. You don't need to change. You don't need to change a thing. In fact, you are healthy just as you all are, despite all the health difficulties that you might have. It is now not okay to say and give a moral judgment to say that it's wrong to kill babies in the womb. Why? Well, you're discriminating against women. Who's, who's to say that your point of view of what constitutes a life is right? After all, it's just a clump of cells. And now you're judging. You're discriminating against me. We can't say that certain religious groups that are bombing and committing acts of terror in Nigeria and East Africa, massacring dozens of people, we can't call that out of saying that there is an issue because that would be discrimination. That would be hate speech. That would be an incitement of violence by calling a spade a spade. Stating biological facts that an XY male cannot become an XX female or vice versa, that gender is not malleable, that a woman is a woman because she's born with an XX chromosome, that I, as a man, I cannot just identify as a woman. That is now, discrim- that is now hate speech. I can't say that in many places. And many, peop- many people that I know even would say, well, that's actually being really hateful and bigoted and closed-minded, and it's not actually helping or loving these people who decide that they're identifying as something else. If you make a distinction between values and a set of values, you are inherently in some way thinking and believing that one way of living is more desirable and more noble and more right than another way, thus making a discrimination between right and wrong. But the moment that we open our eyes to the truth that there are moral ways of living and immoral ways of living, that there are, in fact, I guess I'll say it this way, that there is a facade of equity, not equality, that is the lie of this postmodern progressive multiculturalism that states that all lifestyles are equal. The moment that we open our eyes to the fact that actually some things aren't equal, that lie of progressivism is shattered. And progressivism and this postmodern idea, it's rooted in socialistic, communistic ideas that are set up to control society. And the moment that we throw out our judgment, the moment that we throw out our ability to discriminate, it then destroys the ability for cultural Marxism to have a root in society because cultural Marxism says there is no such thing as morality. There's only such things as power. But that's not all bad for some, for some who wants to control society because when we give up our ability to distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and lies, it weakens our society to be controlled by those very people who are trying to control what you say and think. Hey, it's Lucas Grobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Grobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 286. It is June 9th, 2022. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about censorship. We're going to be talking about the negative effects of censorship. That is how often... Many times, censorship can backfire on those who are doing the censoring. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about this uh, Article 20.2 of the UN Declarations of Human Rights and the uh, International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and Freedom, which is actually quite eye-opening, startling to, to see how the rights that have been given to us, not necessarily, well, they're by God, but then they have been limited and a door has been open that really the Soviets pushed for, that cultural Marxism and 
communism and socialism pushed for as a way to control dissonance, as a way to control people from criticizing their worldview, their political system, their way of life. What happened in the USSR was they made criticizing the government, they made criticizing communism a crime, a crime that you didn't really need to have much proof for. You, you were friends with someone who criticized or was part of a, uh, a, a social class that was deemed dangerous to communism, dangerous to the state. Well, you then were just taken away, interrogated, didn't have any trial. There were mock trials, and you were just sent to a, a gulag. You were sent to a co- concentration camp to 10 to 20 years to be reformed. And ultimately, you were reformed by being brought out to the brick wall and introduced to the firing squad. That was the ultimate reformation that was brought through the Soviet Union. Just absolute control of society, control of what you think. By saying, you can say, you can think anything except these things which we deem as incitement to violence, that we deem as uh, incitement to discrimination, that we deem as fascist. Because who, who is the one that's defining those things? We've, we've seen it recently, talked about it here on the show endlessly, about how big tech is now in that control of censorship. They are now the ones who are able to say, mm, this article, this post, this is a danger to public health. This is a danger to public morals. We are going to take this down because we have now deemed, because of our ideology, that this goes against public health, public morals, and it's a constitution, it's an incitement of discrimination. We saw that many times over the last two years when it comes to the pandemic and people having an inability to debate and argue about what public health steps should or should not have been taken. We saw it and we're seeing it right now with the transgendered agenda where big tech and the corporations around the world are now saying, actually, it's against public health to say that kids should not be transitioned. You can't say that anymore. It's, it's an incitement to discrimination and hate speech against the LGBTQSIAA2 plus community to state that transgenderism and seeking to reshape the minds of the youth in America is deeply wrong. There's something very mentally unstable with that. Just by the, and you don't even need to look long. You just have to look at the suicide rates among transgendered people and those with gender dysphoria. You can see that there's something that's going on there. But instead, as a culture, as a society, instead of us saying, this is a problem, We need to address it. We need to fix it. We say, you are perfect just the way you are because you're powerless to change. So since we feel so powerless to change, we are going to affirm the way that you are. Don't change. Stay as you are. You're perfect. Just You don't need to grow. Don't don't worry about that desire to be better. No, no, put put that to the side. Don't worry about your anger issues. Don't worry about your porn issues. Don't worry about your self-hatred issues or depression issues, you need to just learn to live with it, learn to cope, because we're largely powerless as a society. So what do we do to make ourselves feel better? We force it upon society to accept this as normal, to accept it as healthy. Well, in the process of, of censorship, in the process of making sure that some ideas don't get out into the public, a strange phenomenon can happen, and it's recently, just recently, uh, 2005, 2003, been deemed as the Streisand effect when Barbara Streisand, a famous singer, she tried to hide and remove photos and videos and stories 
of herself. And in the process of her trying to suppress some photos that she didn't like, it was photographs of her house that was taken uh, by a, an aerial photographer who's happened to be displaying photos of her home in Malibu. She wanted those taken down. And instead, it, it probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of traffic. It wouldn't have gotten a lot of views, except all of a sudden it makes news that Barbara Streisand is trying to hide photographs of her house, which then incites a ton of public interest. It's just like when someone says, hey, I have a secret. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell your friends. Please don't just keep it. It's just between you and me. That person then does what? They turn around, they go tell their other friends, hey, just between you and me, let me tell you what happened. And it spreads like wildfire. Why? Because someone said, don't tell someone else. But if I go up to you and I say, hey, I got this story, go and tell everybody that you know that this, this has happened. You're like, oh, no, that's not that interesting. But the moment that it becomes taboo, the moment that it becomes a faux pas, the moment that someone is trying to suppress something, it piques our interest. It's like, well, well, why? Why can't, why can't I talk about this? Why can't I share this information? Why can't I see this photo? What is so, what is so revealing about it that piques our curiosity and that causes people to search more? Well, this has happened countless times throughout history, and it's a famous saying. If you want your ideas to spread, get them censored. Because the moment that you get something censored, you now have a platform to say, my ideas are being censored. And it causes everyone to come and look and say, wow, what, what is so radical and crazy about your ideas that they have to be censored? Well, this happened at a, uh, a school, an uh, elementary school. There was a young girl named Martha who started a blog called Never Seconds, where she was taking photos of her school lunches and commenting on how disgusting and horrible they were. Well, the school essentially banned her from taking photos and told her that she needs to take these photos off the internet because it's putting the, the catering staff of the school at risk. Well, what did it do? It only drew more attention to this story and it caused it to be a national story Hundreds of thousands of people ended up visiting the page, looking at the photos, and it blew up into a huge mess. So it's a very interesting thing that happens when information is being censored or banned. And we've, we've seen it, really. We've seen it on, on social media, where a post will be banned, Twitter or Instagram will deplatform someone or ban someone or shadow ban a post. Or it will even be this little blurred thing on a post saying, this post has been blurred. Are you sure you want to see it? It's like, well, yeah, I, I, I want to know what this is. My wife, a few months ago, she made a TikTok reel. I don't even remember what it was about. Maybe it was on a reel on Instagram. And the algorithm got it wrong for some reason and said that this video was had violent content in it, even though it had no violent content. And so it was blurred out with, are you sure you want to see this content? That post went wild. Hundreds of thousands of views, thousands of likes, all because it had that little blur on it. Because all of a sudden, it causes people to say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is this being censored? I want to see what it is. They click on it. They see what it is. And then they leave a comment, I don't get why this was censored. Instagram is so crazy, which then then feeds the algorithm to push it out to more people. Well, one strategy that big tech is taking to not have this effect is to begin to drown out voices rather than censoring. The old way of doing it was to censor, was to shut down was to totally remove that content from books, from newspapers. This is like the 1984 Orwellian way of censorship. But a, a new way of censoring is to drown out. So one way is shadow banning, where that content is just hidden, hidden more in the layers 
of the algorithm. And another way is by flooding, flooding the news, the, the airwaves with other information, with other distracting information so that instead of silencing a story, you bury the story and you bury that story with bigger stories, with other uh, triggering, more entertaining news. Because if you can do that and you can successfully distract your audience like a good magi- magician, a good magician doesn't tell someone to close their eyes while they hide the elephant. A good magician causes someone to be distracted with their eyes just for a moment, enough for them to pull the switch, enough for them to hide what's really happening. And this is the, the, the beauty really the beauty of, of big tech and how censorship has developed. Uh, we started off with uh, reading uh, the UN Declaration of Human Rights, Article 20, or Article 19 and Article 20, but, and, and talking about how there's this massive loophole which was really in, introduced into this UN Declaration of Human Rights by Soviet nations. They tried to get introduced in 1948. They failed when the, U, the UN was a little smaller. But then in 1966, they, they got this article put in that was very similar to an article they tried to put in in 1948. The article in 1948 was talking about uh, how they wanted to, how the Soviet Union was saying, we want to be able to censor fascist ideas because fascism and uh, Hitler's use of the press and propaganda really led to his rise in Nazi Germany. Even though he was censored in many places in Germany, uh, he was censored in places, Mein Kampf was censored in places outside of Germany. Um, so there's argument on, on both sides. However, the USSR was saying, we want to make sure that this horrible fascist uh, democratic socialism that killed tens of millions of lives, we want to make sure that never happens again. However, they then framed, framed it by saying, we want to be able to censor fascist, quote-unquote, fascist ideologies. And when it was pressed upon them, well, what do you, what do you mean by fascist? Well, they mean well, democratic countries and capitalistic ideas, those things are fascist. So really, when you have undefinable terms or terms that are, are very broad, that can be manipulated and defined in any way that the power wants to, and you can say, well, we want to be able to limit an incitement to discrimination. We want to be able to limit an incitement to violence. We want to be able to limit an incitement to hate. Well, now you have opened the door for, whether it's governments or groups, big tech right now, currently, to say this sort of speech, this sort of thought, these sorts of ideas, these are incitements to violence. These are incitements to hate. This is likened to hate speech, saying that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and there's no changing that that a person is born with one of two genders, male or female, and there's no changing that. Many people in the big tech world are saying, well, actually, that's not true, and that is misinformation, and it's incitement to violence. It's incitement to discrimination. You're discriminating against the transgender community, and therefore, we're going to stop this speech. Well. Here is a clip. Uh, it's a little bit of a more lengthy clip, but it's definitely worth it. It's from a podcast on free speech called Clear and Present Danger by Jacob McHangma. Probably slaughtered his name. Sorry, Jacob. And this is a, about a two-minute clip. We'll pause it intermediate, intermediately to give some comments on it. But This is Jacob talking about the introduction of Article 20.2, which states that there's a limitation on the freedom of speech 
in, quote, any advocacy of national, racial, or religious hatred that constitutes incitement to discrimination, hostility, or violence shall be prohibited by law. Here's the clip. In 1961, 16 countries from Latin America, Africa, the Middle East, and Eastern Europe proposed a text which was adopted into the final version and became Article 20, Paragraph 2. When put to a vote in the General Assembly, it was adopted with 52 votes in favor, 19 against, and 12 abstentions. Those in favor were primarily the communist states of Eastern Europe, as well as non-Western countries. The 19 countries that voted against included almost all Western liberal democracies. When the Soviet Union had lost the debate in 1948, there were 58 member states of the UN. In 1961, membership had swollen to 104. This included a number of African states who, under colonial rule, had all experienced systematic, humiliating and oppressive European racism and therefore felt sympathetic towards prohibiting racist hate speech. Though, as we saw in episode 35... European colonial powers such as Britain and France actually used censorship of colonized peoples as a racist tactic to quell anti-colonial movements. So right there, you can see that there is good reason for these nations in Africa to be voting for this to be passed, to say, hey, actually, there are some major atrocities of real racial discrimination that is used to oppress people that has been used by powers that be. And so we want to make sure that all peoples everywhere are de defended from that sort of hate speech and discrimination. But, he, but Jacob goes on to point out how that in many ways has opened the door to a new kind of control even on these nations. He continues. But of course, using one's own recent oppression as an argument against the Soviet agenda might have been a rather uncomfortable strategy for Western state. But ultimately, the Western democracies had been dissuaded by the inherent vagueness of the provision of Article 20. When does a book, a cartoon, an article, or an argument constitute incitement to national, racial, or religious hostility? That's a question. And what does hostility even mean? Well, that's a question. As a Norwegian diplomat concluded... The article would be so easily misconstrued that it might well be used to victimize those whom it was intended to protect. As we shall see, the concerns of both Eleanor Roosevelt and the Norwegian diplomat turned out to be prophetic. Because the adoption of Article 20, Paragraph 2 would come in handy as communist states used the nebulous concept of incitement to punish hundreds of dissidents, human rights activists and religious believers. There it is. They were able to, by getting this introduced, the Soviet Union was able to use this article as leverage to say, hey, we're not doing anything wrong, UN. We're just, we're making sure that there is not an incitement to violence or hatred, discrimination in our nation. And by doing so, we're going to throw any sort of dissonance in the gulag for decades. And by adopting by adopting Article 2, 20.2, it has opened the door for religious groups to be oppressed, to be discriminated against by powers that don't like them, by powers that disagree with their worldview. It has been used by governments to shut down any sort of dissonance any sort of, of criticism. Now, this is, this is particularly interesting to me. Recently, uh, just, just within the last uh, week, there is a, was a person that I know that they are pretty liberal. They love the idea of 360 feedback. They are, are, are a proponent of liberalism and liberal ideas. They're a proponent of equity and equality. There's, they're proponents of speaking out, speaking truth to power. And there is an incident where uh, government officials were being punished because they were critical of certain states and ideologies. And they were praising the punishment, saying this is about time that this person was punished. They need to be done away with. I can't believe they were criticizing 
this specific uh, uh, government and this specific ideology. They need to be done away with. I'm speaking in very broad terms. Forgive me. However, the, the thing that seems so hypocritical, and it's in this liberal mindset, is that when it comes to corporations or when it comes to organizations, we tout and we praise 360 feedback. We say people should be able to receive criticism. If you are in a healthy company, you should be able to criticize the way that the company is being run. You should have an open format. We talk so often in the business world and in, in the non-business world as well that you need to be approachable. You know those people who are inapproachable. You know that CEO or that business owner who has so many blind spots, but they can't receive any sort of criticism. They cut out anyone who criticizes them or says no, and they just surround themselves with yes men and yes women. While at the same time, we, we hold that in esteem, while at the same time, we're saying, actually, you can't criticize this worldview. You can't criticize this ideology. And there are ideologies and their worldviews that are, are incapable of receiving any sort of criticism without violent backlash. And those, those worldviews that are not able to take criticism, those are dangerous. Those, those are very dangerous worldviews. And I would encourage you to stop and ask, why is it, why is it that they are not willing to see their blind spots? Why is it that they're not willing to take criticism and instead are responding with violence and deeming that sort of speech, hate speech? It's different to say, okay, I'm taking criticism. Here is my side of the argument. Here is the proof that I have. Here's the arguments that I have. But instead of saying that, there are many groups who are totally dismissing the argument and attacking the individual. And this is a, 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 real, a real sign of unhealth within any sort of worldview, in any sort of relationship, any sort of leadership, any sort of person, even in ourselves. I'm, there's, for sure, there's areas in myself where I need to grow as an individual to be able to receive that 360 feedback because I have blind spots. You have blind spots. We all have blind spots. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Well, what is really absurd is Sports Illustrated, and this has been a, a growing trend over the years, Sports Illustrated, in their uh, latest swimsuit edition, decided to put a plus-size woman on the cover. And Jordan Peterson, being the uh, protagonist and antagonist that he is, he decided to post a tweet with the cover of this woman and say, no, not beautiful. And of course, the, the Twitterverse just blew up in, in outrage that he would dare say that a plus-size woman is not beautiful. And uh, now I'm, I'm probably going to get myself in a lot of hot water myself <laughs> for this segment, but that's okay. I don't mind. Listen, listen before, before you put me in hot water, listen to the full segment. I think Jordan is really onto something because it's not, it is not that that person as an individual isn't a beautiful person or doesn't have a level of beauty, but it's the, the audacious lie that is being pushed on society that says everything must be included. All things must be inclusive. Every idea is equal. Every person should have an, an, an equal level of beauty and accomplishment and standards. That Every person is equally as successful just because they are. And this is the idea of equity rather than an idea of equality. Equality is that we, as individuals, as human beings, we are all equal. But that does not mean that you or I should earn the same amount of money or that you or I are equally as talented. But when Sports Illustrated is 
and other magazines have said fat is beautiful. Fat is the new beautiful. They are manipulating what is real because beauty, yes, beauty has to do more with a physical appearance, but beauty is also connected to fitness. It's connected to health. And having a high BMI, a high body mass index, for whatever reason, it brings complicated health problems. And that is something that people shouldn't be told, you're okay the way you are, don't change. They should be told, hey, we are here to help you. We are here and we can sympathize with you. We can empathize with you and we are help you here to help you out of that hole. Well, Jordan uh, went on uh, with his daughter on a podcast, and here's a clip from this, this show where Jordan is explaining what he meant and really lays out uh, just a really brilliant argument against the, the inclusivity that is being pushed on society, which is a, a manipulative lie that is luring us into the place of saying the emperor has, has a beautiful set of clothes when really he has no clothes. Here is Dr. Jordan Peterson. It's unbelievably manipulative for about three different reasons. The first is it's a very tawdry attempt to capitalize on cheap sales. And I mean cheap in a specific way. Sports Illustrated hit the gold mine with their swimsuit cover I suppose 20 years ago, whenever they established that, because it was obviously it's a sports magazine, so it's about athletics. It's about athletic people. It's about athletic bodies. And they had a swimsuit issue, and it really was a big hit. And then it became kind of a cultural icon. And it's a very specific kind of cultural icon because it focuses on a very exceptional kind of high-end beauty. Mm -hmm. And so that beauty would involve symmetry and signals of youth because that's part of uh, beauty, sexual beauty, physical beauty, um, waist to hip ratio for women. But with Sports Illustrated, it's also highlighting a kind of athleticism in body type. And that's a very specific form of beauty. You have to be young. You have to be female, generally. You have to be extremely athletic. You have to be shapely in a very particular way and that would be with a waist to hip ratio of 0.68 because that's what's been established cross-culturally as ideal from the perspective of male uh sexual interest let's say but that's also associated with fertility yeah. um, and so it's a marker that has a biological basis and so even if you're a very beautiful woman you're you're hard pressed to be beautiful enough to be on the cover of sports illustrated for the swimsuit issue <laughs> And so it's a very, it's a pinnacle achievement of sorts. And it's focused on a very idealized and specific form of beauty. And that's obviously exclusionary. It's obviously exclusionary. It excludes everyone. everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it does that to highlight a kind of ideal. And that's a particular ideal of beauty. And there are some cultural boundaries around that. So you could say, well, it's a westernized form of beauty. It's like, yeah. And you can point to Rubens paintings of more plump women mm -hmm. and say, well, there's an exception. It's like, great. You think you're a genius for finding that exception. Good for you. You know, the Rubens painting, like more power to you, but that doesn't mean anything at all about the universality of images of beauty. And so the, co the cover bothered me a lot because it was a cheap manipulation of something that had been working very well for Sports Illustrated. It was also an insistence that all of a sudden this non-athletic body type is as beautiful as the standard swimsuit model for Sports Illustrated. And it's not. It's not as athletic and it's not as healthy. And that's that. And it's also not arbitrary. And so the whole thing is a lie. And then it's a lie that's a manipulation of that young woman. Now, she partakes in that because she participates in it. But it's still, they're not on her side. They're exploiting her, as far as I'm concerned. And she may be participating in that exploitation, but they're still exploiting her. So don't pull any moral stunts on me because you're irritated about my opinion about the Sports Illustrated cover when it's bloody clear to anybody with eyes that that was manipulative in 20 different ways. And so, and I'm also not willing to sacrifice these 
ideals for inclusiveness. It's like, no, not everyone's a genius. No, not everyone's Picasso. No, not everyone's young and healthy. And no, not everyone is a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model, period. This, this is the end bit. He really brought it home. No, not, not everyone is fit and healthy. No, not everyone is a genius. No, not everyone is Picasso, as he said. And that is what is happening across, like this is a little microcosm of what is happening across, this, across society, even with multiculturalism, saying that every culture, doesn't matter whether it's a cannibalistic culture or a non-cannibalistic culture, for instance, taking these extremes, is equal and beautiful and right and moral because this is what their culture holds valuable. And who are we to judge? And it becomes so inclusionary that there are no longer any standards. There's no longer any morals. There's no longer anything that we can go to try to achieve. Everything is boiled down to the lowest and lowest common denominator. And that's just not true. That's not truth. That's not the way that we can uh, order and orientate our lives to actually end up living in a way that is truly successful, truly meaningful. Because we have said there, nothing has meaning, nothing have, has definition, nothing has distinction. There are no standards of athleticism. There are no standards of health. There are no standards of beauty. This is the lie that is being pushed on society through these progressive ideologies. And this is, it, it is just one microcosm, one little snapshot of what we're seeing across society with that. Now you can say, well, beauty is something that's more than a physical appearance. So, you know, maybe, maybe she is beautiful. Well, sure. I, I will, I will concede that point, but I also bring up Dr. Jordan Peterson's point of this is on a swimsuit magazine that is talking about a standard of athleticism. Sports Illustrated, it's about athleticism and athletic ability. And now you're equating unhealth with health. You're equating non-athleticism with athleticism. And you're manipulating that standard. Now when it comes to, well, inward beauty, let's say, let's say we're talking about inward beauty. Well, there's this assumption that everyone is equally inwardly as beautiful as the next person. That, well, you're, you're all beautiful. You're a king. You're a queen. You're beautiful on the inside. You're fine just as you are. Not true. There are actually some people and some aspects of people. There's aspects of myself that I find actually quite ugly that I look at and I'm like, wow, that is despicable. That, that aspect of me that I struggle with, that's despicable. My, my ability for frustration or impatience. I'm like, oh my goodness, that is, that is despicable. That is ugly within myself. I think it's ugly. So there are, even within inward beauty, there's, there's a set of values. So meekness, that's, that is a sign of inward beauty, humility. Being contrite in heart, being poor in spirit, gentleness, meekness, kindness. Those are things that are beautiful. Selfishness, not so beautiful. Greed, corruption, hatred, jealousy, envy. Those, those aren't so beautiful. Someone who's consumed and, and self-conceited. Do we call that? Is, that? is that beauty? Is that as beautiful as someone who is humble, meek, contrite, and giving of heart? No, it's not. But when we dismiss all of that and we say that you're, you're perfect just as you are, we lose the teeth. We lose the ability to look and identify issues within society or issues within ourselves, whether physical or emotional or mental. And we lose the ability to delineate and discriminate between health and unhealth. And that, that locks us in to paralysis. And that is destroying, destroying lives. Now, I will say this. All people 
are worthy of love, not because of what they've done, but people are worthy of being loved. And people do have the ability, I believe, through, through God, to be transformed, to be changed, to be overcome, to overcome. People have that ability to be set free from the ugly things with inside their hearts that binds them, that keeps them from truly living free. But we can't reach that point. We can't achieve that in our lives unless we are able to discriminate between what is an ideal that we should aim for, what is the bar that we ought to live by, and we, where we are at today. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. This is a Value for Value podcast. I thank you for listening. And for those who give to the show on a monthly basis, I am so grateful because you are what keeps this show on the air, quite honestly. It takes time, money, effort, and energy to produce this show. And if you get value out of the show, I would just ask that you'd go over to lucasscrobot.com backslash support, and you'd give back value in the value that you have received, whether that's giving $4 a month, a dollar an episode, or $400 a month, $100 an episode, whatever value you feel like you're getting out of it, we would just ask that you would consider giving that value back to the show. Well, don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Today, we don't have a quote, but we have a story, a personal story. I, uh, as you may or may not know, opening a bakery, <laughs> it, trying to meld myself a little bit more into the corporeal world, into the community surrounding myself. And... <laughs> Uh, I'm ashamed to say that as I've been, uh, especially in the last couple of weeks, with ovens getting in, mixers getting in, just the final stages of getting to the starting blocks. It's not even getting to the a finish line. It's just getting to the starting blocks of launching this business. I've grown increasingly, increasingly impatient and frustrated and pushing harder and harder and harder to move the process along as I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of not actually being in the starting block, not actually launching in this race. And I think that's okay. But in, the, in some degrees, in some degrees, it's okay that I'm working hard to push it along. But in other degrees, I've noticed that it's not been helpful. Moving faster and pushing harder actually hasn't moved the process along any quicker. And uh, in this process, we've had goodness, multiple issues with the oven. But one of the issues with the oven was the, this is a little technical, but the valve wasn't opening so that gas wasn't able to get into the oven. And I kept on thinking, I need more gas pressure. I need more pressure. I need more. I need bigger. I need more. I need bigger and more. And it wasn't working. The, the more gas pressure I added, I changed out the regulator, I moved everything around so that it could work, and still, I could not get that oven to turn on. But I was operating underneath a, an idea, a premise, that more equaled better. And it wasn't until I realized that I needed to drop the gas pressure considerably and have much less pressure in this massive ginormous oven for the valve to open that it worked. I realized I had to actually pull back, that the excess was not helpful. Moved on to having another problem with the, the steam injector on the oven, the water pressure. And I thought, ah, the problem is there's not enough water pressure. I need more water pressure. I need more water pressure. So I went off and I bought a, a bigger pump for the bakery and I'm about to install it. And uh, praise God for my foreman who was very helpful in telling me, if you install this pump, you are going to destroy all the valves in your bakery. You're going to destroy anything that is hooked up to this water system. You're going to destroy it all. and. At this point, from my, my first experience with the gas pressure, 
I realized, okay, he is probably right. I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to pull back. What was my first problem? My first problem was I was thinking, if I have bigger, then it is better. And it was not. And so instead, I pulled back. I kept the water pressure the same. And it turns out it's not even a problem with the water pressure. It's just something completely different. It's a regulator thermostat issue, which hopefully will get fixed soon. But the point, the moral of this, this wisdom story is that we can often fall into this belief that bigger, faster, more pressure, harder, running harder, doing more is better. When sometimes what we need is to pull back and to regulate and to make sure that we're operating within the right limits rather than going to excess on either side. So I hope that encourages you in whatever area of life that you are feeling the pressure to add more pressure or feeling the, the pressure to grow or to put something bigger and better in when really sometimes a smaller tool will do the job better than a bigger tool. Like trying to flout a, a, swy, a fly with a baseball bat doesn't normally end up well. So that is all for this episode. I hope you uh, got value out of this episode. If you want to get more value out of this episode, you can do so by sharing it with a friend. As we share with a friend, we develop language and conversation and connection points. Whenever someone shares something with me, I feel loved. If you have any questions about this episode or any other episodes, you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. I'd love to hear from you. I read every message and respond to every message. So please send me a message. I look forward to hearing from you. And this week, go out, discriminate between good and evil, right and wrong, healthy and unhealthy, so that you can own your future. <laughs>